Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me, if you would, to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. God is moving. God is doing some things. Amen. Hallelujah. I just want to get on board. I just want to, I don't want to miss the boat. I don't want to miss the train. I just want to get in on what God is doing and be a part. And I believe the words that were given today fall right in line with what I have to minister. The title of my message today is Avoiding Assignment. Avoiding Assignment. And um, here in John chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. It says this, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. It's it's, it's always weird when you read something about Jesus having to do something, right? He's the son of God. He doesn't have to do anything. None of us have to do anything, but Jesus, Jesus of all people, doesn't have to do anything, or so we think. But Jesus was a man that walked this earth 100% God and 100% man. 100% God and 100% man. Being 100% God meant, meant that he was in complete rule, complete reign, complete authority, complete control. We see what Jesus did. We see the acts he performed. We see the power of God upon his life and what, what he carried her out through his short three and a half year long ministry. I've already been in ministry three times as long as Jesus. Going on nine years. I've already got six years on what Jesus did. And in six years, or in three years, you see the, the acts and the miracles and the, the, the phenomenons that, were, uh, that took place in his ministry. But this is the thing about Jesus. Jesus didn't walk this earth as God. He was God. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1, verse 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. It goes even further to say that the word was God. And then we jump down to verse 14, and that very word became flesh, walked this earth, and dwelt among us. Hebrews uh, tells us, no, I'm sorry, Philippians tells us that that he uh, cast off his his godliness. He, He brought himself down to become like a man, made himself of no reputation. So although he was God, he came to this earth in flesh just like you and I. In fact, later on in this passage, we find out that Jesus was stopping in Samaria because he was tired. Jesus got tired. Jesus got weary. Jesus got burnt out. Jesus was traveling. Jesus was going from town to town, and he's preaching the gospel, and he's, he's preaching these crazy messages and just drawing people. 
How in the world does a man preach with that kind of authority? How in the world does someone preach with that kind of power? The, the way that he speaks, we've never heard anybody, anybody speak or preach or teach this way before. But what he did brought to his humanity the same limitations you and I have. The Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted on all accounts just as you and I are tempted or have been tempted. There's nothing that we face in this earth that Jesus didn't face. I know a lot of times we catapult and we put Jesus on this pedestal while he was God. But what we have to understand about Jesus is Jesus did not do what he did as God. Jesus did what he did as man submitted to God. You got to get this picture now. Jesus did not do what he did on this earth as God. No, he had to go, fulfill prophecy, go to his cousin, right? John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. And when he approached John, John said what? Man, I... I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. John the Baptist said, less of me and more of you. But Jesus had to perform an act that all of us are required. Jesus had to do what all of us are required to do. He was baptized in water, and when he came up out of that water, the Spirit of God, in the form of a dove or as a dove, came and rested upon Jesus. And from that moment, he did and performed what his ministry produced. Prior to that, we have no account of a, of a miracle, of a preaching or a teaching or, or casting out of demons or uh, 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 causing fig trees to die, walking on water. I mean, he wasn't, you know, in the bathtub and mom and dad come in, we see, they see him, you know, floating around on top of the water. What are you doing, Jesus? It's weird. Oh, it's just part of my superpowers. He's not going throughout his school, you know, laying hands on the sick and, 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 and teaching his teachers and, you know, doing all these profound. He was man, like you and I. A man that never sinned, but a man like you and I. See, if Jesus did what he did as God, then I have no business ever Reading the verse in John 14, verse 12, these works that I do, you will do, and even greater works. That verse doesn't apply to me. But if I understand that Jesus did what he did as a man, empowered by the Holy Spirit and submitted to God, now all of a sudden I understand I can put myself in that equation. I can put myself in that category. If I submit myself to God, become empowered by the Holy Spirit, then I can do the very works Jesus did and even greater works because he said it. We love the Great Commission, right? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's usually as far as we get because the rest of it scares us. Lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Not if, not maybe. Try it out and see if it happens. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. You will take up serpents. You'll drink deadly poisons. It won't harm you. Now, I'm not walking around the earth literally picking up snakes and drinking poison. What it's talking about is the evil in the world cannot touch you. It doesn't have power over you. 
He says, you'll cast out demons in my name. That's what he said. And we have record in the book of Acts that his disciples and his apostles did just that. Did they lay hands on the sick and they were recovered? Absolutely. They even won up Jesus and said, all they got to do is just touch my shadow. Paul raised the dead. Paul preached a sermon so long one time, there was a young man sitting up in a window on, uh, on the upper story, fell out the window and died. How'd you like that to happen at church? That's when you know you've gone too long, Paul. You're long-winded, but man, you got to shorten this thing down. We got kids falling out and dying. He went down and raised them up. Paul himself died, was raised up, went right back into the town and ministered again. Cast out demons. One time in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are going through town. There's this demonic girl running around behind them. You need to listen to these guys. You need to listen to these guys. They have a message from God. Well, here's the problem. If you listen to a demon speak that kind of truth, you'll listen to a demon speak other kind of things too. So Paul said, we got to shut this thing down. Rebuke the demon, got the demon out. The town... Was, was so happy about it, they threw him a party. No. The town was so upset about it, they threw him in jail. That's what happens. For, that's what you get for obeying God. That's what you get for doing the very worst that he told you to do. He said, don't worry about that. They hated me long before they'll ever hate you. You do what I've called you to do. Jesus did what he did on this earth as a man, empowered by the Holy Spirit, submitted to God. Jesus did what he did on this earth as a man, empowered by the Holy Spirit, submitted to God. So we have to understand that Jesus wasn't operating in some realm that you and I cannot operate. And Jesus in this moment has, a, has an opportunity to fulfill an assignment. It says that he left Judea and went again to Galilee, which is his home. He's headed toward his home. And it says he had to travel through Samaria. Now, the only problem is Jews and Samaritans don't have that great of a relationship, don't have a relationship. There's a lot of conflict there. There's issues there. I could get into historically where this came from, I'm not going to give you that whole, you know, lesson today. But historically, there was a reason why the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along. In fact, Jewish people, when they would travel this route, would go around Samaria, adding up to three days to their travel. To go around something rather than just go through it. Sounds just like us today, doesn't it? The exhaustion that we will go through, the, the, the things that we will bring on our, li- on our lives to avoid something rather than deal with something, right? Am I right? We've all done this in our lives. We have all had opportunities where we could challenge something, confront something, take it head on, but rather, instead of doing that and just getting it over with, we'd rather go around the issue 
burning ourselves out even more, making ourselves even more tired, getting more exhausted, but not having to deal with the issue. He had to go to Samaria. He wasn't going through Samaria because of geographical limitations. He was going through Samaria because of a divine assignment. Jesus did what he did because he was submitted to and obedient to his father. The Bible tells us that Jesus was a lamb slain before the foundations of the world. Jesus did not raise his hand and volunteer to die for you and I. Jesus did not come here on his own initiative. And he makes that clear throughout the book of John. I don't do anything on my own initiative. I don't do it because I want to do it. I do it because I've been told. He was voluntold. Anybody ever been voluntold for something? Jesus was voluntold in heaven. You are going to be the redemption plan for mankind. Man's going to blow it. Man's going to miss it. Man's going to lose everything that I have given them, what they've acquired. They're going to hand it over to the devil, the authority, the rule, the reign, the kingdom that I've given them. In Genesis chapter 1, 26, all that I've bestowed upon them, they're going to hand it over to my enemy. But five verses later, I'm going to make a plan. Five verses later, I'm going to set in motion my redemption plan. And Jesus, you're it. He said, I didn't come here because I wanted to. I came here because I was sent. He said, everywhere I go, I go because my father sends me. Everything I say, I say because my father tells me to say it. Everything I do, I do because my father tells me to do it. He was a man submitted to his father. We know this because even in the garden, Jesus prays this. Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, But ultimately, what does he say? Not my will. Right there, he's showing you, I have a will, and he has a will. But he taught his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter 6, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. What's he trying to tell us? We're always going to have these opposing agendas when it comes to God's plan for our life. We're always going to have these, this, this opposition within us where God's leading us this way, but we want to go this way. Jesus is making a decision here, not because that's the way you do it, not because that's ritual, not because it's the easiest route. He's choosing this route because... He's been divinely orchestrated to go down this plan, to go down this route. This is his assignment. It says he had to travel through Samaria. And he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, here it is, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. So Jesus at this point is tired. He's weary. The humanity of Jesus is calling out right now. The humanity of Jesus is saying, I'm tired. I need something to drink. I need something to eat. 
He eventually sends his disciples into the town and says, hey, hit a drive through for me. Pick me up something. Bring me something back, right? He goes and he's, he's trying to get natural sustenance. All we know at this point is he's been led to go through Samaria. Beyond that, we have no recollection. We have no record that he knows exactly what's about to happen. Just in his divine understanding of what his father wants him to do, he obeys one step at a time, and he goes through Samaria. Father, I don't know why you have me going through there today. I don't know why you have me on this route today. You know we always go this other way. You always know that we go around. There were times where Jesus said, I'm not called to minister or to preach to this certain group. I've been assigned to this. Jesus knew his purpose. See, there's a difference between purpose and assignment. We all have the same purpose, but we do not all have the same assignment. We all have the same purpose, to bring the kingdom of God from heaven to the earth. That's why you exist. And if you didn't know that, you need to figure that out quick. That's why you are on this planet. It's to bring heaven to earth, not to get to heaven, not to figure out what's the quickest way to heaven, not to just say a prayer and then do whatever we want while we're down here, but to live on this earth saying, Father, what would you want me to do? Jesus would spend the day ministering to people, but he spent the night ministering to the Father. And because he ministered to the Father, he was better able to meet the needs of people. I heard one person say one time that Jesus spent a lot of time with his Father and a little bit of time with people's problems. We do the opposite. We spend a lot of time on our problems, and we give God a little bit of time trying to get him to help figure out the problem for us. That's not what Jesus was doing. Jesus' times of prayer weren't, uh, you know, I need this and this and this. Jesus' times of prayer was, Father, what do you want me to do about this? How do you want me to handle this situation? How do you want me to, to, to take care of this issue? He was getting the heart of the Father. He was communing with the Father. Prayer to him wasn't a grocery list of, this is everything I need today. Prayer to God was, how am I going to accomplish your plan and your will in the earth while I'm here? Make your heart known to me. Reveal your will to me. That's all that Jesus was interested in. And it says in verse 7, remember, we're at noontime. That's in the heat of the day. That's in the middle of the day. And it says, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Now, people did not typically draw water, go out to the well in the middle of town and draw water in the middle of the day. Ritualistically speaking, historically speaking, that was not the time to draw water. Why is she drawing water in the middle of the day? Because she, too, is avoiding something. We later learn about her life, her crippled love life. She had been married five times previously, divorced five times previously. She was with a man currently, the man that she was with uh, uh, sexually and relationally 
was not her husband. So this is not a woman of, a, of great character in the community. If you know anything about small towns, this kind of talk goes out quick. She's got a reputation. It's not a good one. So she is, is going about her business dictated by her sin. This is what sin will do. It's amazing the power and the rule that sin will have over our life. She has completely rearranged her schedule to avoid the conflict of her life and her choice her life. Her choice her choices have disrupted her schedule. Her choices have disrupted her life. Her choices have disrupted everything about her. And so we've got two individuals, we've got two accounts of avoidance taking place. One, we've got Jewish people avoiding Samaria, not going through Samaria, but even taking a much longer route by days to go around this area, some area, Samaria, some some area. It's all about where you put the emphasis. To go around this town rather than go through it. And then within the town, we've got a woman who, because of her issues and her challenges and her choices and her actions, she's playing the avoidance game as well. I think we, we still have a little bit of avoidance culture in our world today. How about you? I think that we still have a little bit of, I'd rather not deal with that. I'd rather not confront that. I'd rather not talk about that. I'd rather not face those people. I'd rather not deal with this situation. And we all have coping mechanisms. Last week, we learned about Naaman. We learned about the fact that he got really good at hiding a disease that was killing him from the inside out. Got really good at putting on the armor and putting on the accolades and and putting on the good looks and the notoriety and the fame and the reputation and, and all the battles and all the wins and all the wars. He got really good at hiding the disease on the inside. We all get good at hiding stuff. And what can't be hidden, we'll learn to cope with. What can't be hidden, we'll learn to deal with. And what, what can't be hidden, what, what, what can't be removed from plain sight, what everybody else has access to, we know how to just wear it and carry it. We do. We do this. We do this in our life. We do this in, in, in our families. We do this in our homes. We do this in our jobs. And we have a culture of avoidance. Well, if we just don't talk about it, it'll go away. If we don't deal with it, then I won't have to face it. I've learned that the only things that grow if you don't deal with it is the stuff you don't want. I've learned that the only things that continue to develop and increase. Nothing gets better because it's left alone. I've learned that. You should have seen this building when we first got in it. At least six months of emptiness. I don't know. It could have, it looked like it had been much longer than that. Many of you don't even have a clue what this place looked like before we got in here. I should have left a little bit of the purple carpet with the, with the glow in the dark, 
orange and green and yellow circles, some of the black lights up in the ceiling, some of the, the, the stickers half torn on the walls out in the foyers. Uh, you know, we, we should have left some of this so you have a remnant of some kind of what it looked like before when it was left alone, when it was left unoccupied, when it was left untouched, when there was no one cleaning it, there was no one in it. Just, just the fact that there's no action inside of it causes things to die and deteriorate quicker. And so this issue of avoidance is becoming a major issue. That we don't want to have the right conversations. We don't want to confront the real issues. We don't want to get down to where the real problem really is. We want to just coast over things and, 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 and just, you know, cover them up as much as we can, and then cope with what we can't. And that's where these individuals are at. Jews want nothing to do with Samaritans. Samaritans want nothing to do with Jews. This woman is, is completely disrupted in her life and in her schedule to accommodate the, the lifestyle she's living because she wants to avoid the people and avoid the conversations and avoid the faces and avoid the snickering and avoid the, the gossiping and avoid seeing other people turn the other corner when they see her coming down the road and, and, and avoid all the, the uncomfortable, uh, all the issues, all the strife, all the issues that go along with what she is doing. Just avoid it. But this woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus speaks to her. Jesus speaks to her and says, give me a drink, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Look at her first response, because she's so used to avoidance. She's so used to going the other way. She's so used to not having to deal with the issue that she doesn't even know how to respond when the confrontation shows up. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? And she asked him, for Jews did not associate with Samaritans. She doesn't even know how to have a conversation with the individual. The first thing she does is identify the conflict. The first thing, first thing she points out is, well, wait a minute. This can't be happening right now. We can't be having this conversation. We can't be dealing with this issue. She's immediately pointing out the reasons why we shouldn't be doing this. To take it even a step further, Men didn't have interactions like this with women. There are all kinds of rules being broken in this chapter. I call this chapter the rule-breaking chapter. Jesus was a rule-breaker, if you didn't know that. Jesus was a disruptor. Jesus hated traditions. Jesus hated status quo. Jesus hated just going through the motions. Jesus hated just going along with what everybody had gone. He recognized this system is broken, so we're going to shut down the system. He told the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 15 that you're actually forsaking the commandments of God your Father for the sake of your traditions. You keep going after all your little man-made stuff, and every time you do that, you're, you're creeping further and further away from the plan of God. 
You're not even achieving what God wants in the earth because you're only achieving what you want. You're avoiding what God wants because you're choosing what you want. I have found that in our culture today and in our world today, that we will value agreement over assignment. We'll value agreement. And if we can't agree, then I'm out. The only way I'm connected to someone and the only way I could minister to someone and the only way that, that I could, could, could even be having this conversation right now is if we agree and we're on the same page already. And she immediately points out not agreement, but disagreement. But yet Jesus knows this is his assignment. I know people, they only will fulfill an assignment of God if it's agreeable. It's funny to me that God always sends them to the exact type of churches that they would always go to and they, uh, up under the same kind of pastor with their kind of characteristics and that's what I like and that's the kind of music I like and that's the kind of people I like and that's the location I like. And, and God, all, God is not obligated to bring an assignment in your life that you agree with. And if he is, I sure missed it. Yeah. If I had known the path that God was going to take me down to get me to the end goal that I knew he was calling me to, if you would have shown that path to me beforehand, I would have said it's of the devil and I would have rebuked you and I would have gone on my other way. Yeah, we all have things that we want to do, like to do, feel called to do. In ministry, 90% of what I've done, I never felt called to do. It's not about being called to do it. It's doing it as if you were called. It's not being called to do it. It's doing it as if that was the calling on your life. I have scrubbed toilets in anger and frustration, and I have scrubbed toilets with the anointing knowing I'm assigned and I'm called and if I scrub toilets for the rest of my life, I'm going to be the best toilet scrubber this world is at. I'll scrub toilets in heaven, in my mansion, in someone else's mansion. I don't care. Because it's not about what I do. It's about who I'm serving and who I'm doing it for. And if I'm going through life with an assignment that has to be in agreement with what I like to do or what I'm called to do, I've missed it. I've so far missed the call and missed the mark and missed what God is calling me to do. Did he want to go through Samaria? Did he want to have this? I mean, as far as we know, Jesus is thinking, I'm tired, I'm thirsty, I'm hungry, I don't want no one to minister to, I don't want no one asking me to lay hands, I don't want no one asking me to cast out, I need food, 
I need drink. I need sustenance. I need to be ministered to. For all we know, there's nothing here that shows us that Jesus was on this way. I feel feel the anointing on my eye. I feel called to go to Samaria. And I feel that someone's going to approach me, and they're going to need a touch from God. And they're going to need a word. For all we know, he's saying, I hope no one notices me here. I hope no one knows. Because you know, every time he went into a town, what happened? One person realized. That, that, that's Jesus. That's that man. I've got a cousin sick at home. And before you know it, the word spreads throughout the town, and the whole town's coming out to see him. And then, that's not good enough. They end up doing this. Don't go, Jesus. Stay with us, Jesus. Don't, don't abandon. Don't leave. Can you stay with us another day? Can you stay with us longer? Can you stay with us? And he would have to say, man, I, I, I've got other towns, other cities, other areas I've got to go. This is just some area. This is just one area. (laughs) There's other areas. There's some area and then there's other areas. And I've got a lot of ministering to do. And he would tell them, Luke chapter 4, verse 43, it's my purpose to preach the gospel of the kingdom. I cannot stay here. I have to go to the other towns. Because he was directed by his assignment, not agreement. Jesus would go into places where he knew he would be rejected and leave places where they wanted him to stay. Not a lot of ministers today that would do that. Not a lot of ministers that today we go where it's popular. Today we go where it's agreeable. Today we we go, we feel called, we feel assigned to the stuff that, that gets us going. I believe God gets you to what you ultimately will do through the things that you thought you would never do. I believe it. And so it's how you handle the one that you don't want to do that really tells God how you'll handle the one that you want to do. How you handle the one talent tells him how you'll handle two. And how you handle two is how you'll handle four. And how you handle four is how you'll handle eight. God is, no. he knows what he's doing. He told those three uh, individuals that I'm giving to you talents based upon what you've proven to me you can handle. My best friend, uh, Marcus Kreiner, Pastor Marcus, our worship pastor down in St. Augustine, the church of St. Augustine, just released a new book called Ordinary. Ordinary. On valuing the ordinary things in life. We all go after the extraordinary, but David didn't end up in the palace until he proved himself in the pasture. And so here's the thing. We have Jews avoiding Samaria. We have Jews going around this community, avoiding it at all costs, at greater costs. It would have just been easier to just go through. But really what they're missing is assignment. Because I believe that God's assignments are buried in the stuff you and I would reject. I believe that. I believe God's assignments are buried in the stuff that we would say no to. In the stuff that we would disregard. 
in the stuff that we would push away, in the stuff that we say, man, there's, the, no, no, I don't like that. I don't talk to those kind of people. I don't do that kind of work. I don't have any experience in that. Well, maybe he wants you to get some experience. It's about seeing what is in front of us and what is within our realm of influence the way God sees it. And I, I, I believe, and I know I've done it in my life, that I have devalued things that he valued. That I've devalued things that he's been trying to say, Mark, this is it. This is exactly where, this is how I'm building you up. This is how I'm, this is how I'm using you. This is how I'm calling you. And I keep rejecting it because it doesn't fit what I like to do. It doesn't fit the mold. It doesn't fit the experience I have. It doesn't fit what I thought was the plan of God for my life. It doesn't fit what, what I thought it would look like or how it would play out or the path that I would take. But Jesus is taking a path that no one else has taken because by divine inspiration, he had to go through Samaria. He might not even know why he's going through Samaria. He just knows, I have to go through Samaria. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. He's saying, you don't even know what's right in front of you. But now, now Jesus recognizes, I'm not just a Jew talking to a Samaritan. I'm a gift talking to someone in need. Now it's all shifted. Now it's coming into picture. Now he's figuring out, wait a minute, there's a reason why I had to go through Samaria today. There's a reason why I had to be at this well today. I had an appointment. See, I, I think a lot of times our appointments look like interruptions. I think a lot of times we, we don't know it's an appointment because it actually disrupted what our plan was. It disrupted where I was going. It disrupted how I would handle it. It disrupted who I would have talked to. But God is wanting to interrupt some things in our life because he is actually appointing some things in our lives. So don't miss the appointment that God is bringing thinking it's an interruption to what you've always thought he was gonna do. This is what's happening. Now it's, now it's cluing in. Now he says, wait a minute. If you only knew the gift, this isn't just about water anymore. This isn't about how thirsty I am. This isn't about how hungry I am. This isn't about how, you know, I really don't want to be here, but I'm here, so we might as well have a conversation. This isn't about what I want. This isn't about what I'm in agreement with. Now I'm recognizing there's an assignment. There's an appointment. There is something that God is wanting to use. My Father has brought me here for you. The very thing that I could have easily shrugged off, the very thing I could have easily have missed, it's actually the very reason why I'm assigned to be here. Verse 11, sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater 
than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. She still doesn't know who she's dealing with. She still doesn't know what he's capable of. But this is the great thing about Jesus. When you reveal what he's capable of, he helps you understand what you're capable of. You can't find out the power God has without finding out the power he's given to you, the purpose he's given to you, the assignment he's given to you. And so we're going on. She has no clue. She's unaware. She has no idea what is about to happen. But Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Now he's starting to touch on her need. See, Jesus thought he was there for his need. But now he's starting to realize, I'm not just here for my need. I'm here to help someone else meet their need. I wonder if we could ever have that type of, of, of view. Even in the midst of the needs that we have, even in the midst of the struggles and the trials we're going through, that we can have our eyes opened up to look around us to say, what do they need that I do have? What do they need that I do possess? How can I be a blessing, even though I need a blessing? How can I meet a need when I have a need? Jesus shows up thirsty and hungry, yet now he has completely shifted by divine inspiration from the Father and is realizing, I'm not here for me. I'm here for her. She's thirsty. She's a different kind of thirsty. So he says in verse 16, go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. Verse 17, I don't have a husband, she answered. You ever had a conversation with someone that they just give you a little bit of truth over time? <laughs> just enough so that they feel they're being honest with you, but they're not going to disclose everything. She says, I don't have a husband. But Jesus goes on to say, you have correctly said, I don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Verse 19, the light bulb comes on. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. I bet she does. He just read her mail. The woman thought she finally was going to engage someone that had no idea what her past was. The woman thought she was finally going to engage someone that had no idea her reputation, what she had been through, what she had caused, what she had done. Jesus knew more about her than anybody in that town. But Jesus' approach to her past was much different than everyone else's approach to her past. Jesus told her, verse 
20, well, I'm skipped verse 20. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you, probably didn't say it exactly like that, I guess. I, that's, sounded a little forceful. That is not how I talk to my wife, by the way. Don't get any ideas. That just came out weird. I just need some water or something, I think. Had a little bit of a growl to it, but <laughs> he says, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. You skip on down to verse 27. Verse 27. It says the disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with the woman. They were amazed that he had taken on an assignment that didn't seem like an assignment for the Lord, for Jesus, for the Son of God, for a Jew. It's amazing how God will, will cause you to break stereotypes and break molds. When he gives you an assignment, it's bigger than you. I said it's bigger than you. Usually when we answer an assignment or answer a call or, or feel like we're doing something for God, the only ones we think are being affected is ourselves. This is how I'm going to get promoted. This is how I'm going to fulfill my purpose. This is what God has called me to do. But when can we ever understand that what God has called us to do, if we're doing it according to what he's called us to do, will impact so many people around us? It's bigger than you. It's bigger than us. He wants you to break the stereotypes because he wants to minister to people that have been written off. He wants to minister to people that everyone else has forgotten about. Everybody else is pushed to the side. Everybody else is trying to go around. He's calling his church to go through areas that everybody else is walking around. The world is avoiding things today. And it's going to take a church called by Jesus himself as an assignment to walk through things everybody else is walking around. That is a word from God. This church is going to walk through what everybody else is walking around. What everybody else is skipping over. What everybody else has found a way to reroute. When everybody else has learned to push to the side, they ignore it. They don't even see it anymore. You know, you can ignore a problem so much that you don't even see it. We can get so good at coping with an issue that we don't even know it's there anymore. Yeah. It was just common to go around 
Samaria. It was just common to avoid it. It was just common to, I mean, it's, it's, it's uncommon to go through. I believe God's calling his church to do some uncommon things today. Discuss some uncommon discussions today. Approach some uncommon issues today. Oh, you're a pastor. Y'all are dealing with that? Absolutely. There are things that the church has written off for years as that we have no business there. We don't have any business talking about that. We don't have any business bringing that up. We don't have any business confronting that. We're going to confront it. We're going to challenge it because what you do not challenge does not change. What you do not challenge will never change. I think a lot of the issues are not for the good. I think a lot of the issues in our world today have gotten as bad as they have because the church has remained as silent as they have. We need to be like Jesus to say we're going to walk through the junk. We're going to go right up in the middle of the mess. He didn't just go through Samaria. He stayed in Samaria long enough to sit down. He's not just passing over to say, okay, I was there, God. I went through Samaria. I was there. You saw it. I, I went right by. No, he went through and had a seat. He said, you've got me here for some reason. I'm going to pull up a chair until I know what you've called me here for. That's different. That's different. So his disciples are perplexed. What are you doing talking that? But verse 27 says, yet no one said, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? (laughs) No one dared challenge him. No one dared bring up, uh, what are you doing? Why are you talking to her? Why are you here? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And for a woman with a reputation like that, to say that she found a man, Another man. Seven times the charm. It was the seventh man that walked into her life, that changed her life. It was the seventh man that didn't come in to use and abuse and neglect and push away. It was the seventh man moved by the Spirit of God that said, there's something about you on your life that nobody else has seen, and I'm going to call it out of you. It's a spirit of God. It was a prophetic word. It was an opportunity, not just Jesus speaking on his own, speaking by the Father in heaven because he didn't speak on his own initiative. This is what my Father says. You have a purpose. You have a plan. You have a a, a worth and a value. And where everyone else has written you off, I'm telling you there's still something inside of you. He was sent on appointment for one woman. And then watch what she does. She goes into town, tells the people, could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. Now, she 
is on assignment. Now she, in return, is going right back to the group that she spent so long avoiding. How hard would it have been for her to go back to this group of people with her reputation, with her past, and say, I met a man. Now she's on assignment. Now she's no longer avoiding going around, disrupting her schedule to find the, 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 the path of least resistance. Now she recognizes, man, I've got to get other people to meet this guy. I've got, I've got to go in and share this message. I've got to go in and spread the word. I've got to go in and tell them what has just happened to me. If you skip down to verse 33, or no, verse 31, verse 31. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And the disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? Look what he says. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He says, this was my assignment. And my assignment is my source of life. This was an appointment. We didn't just come through here because we were trying to change scenery. We didn't just come through here because we didn't want to, to, to uh, you know, t- spend the extra three days. So we're just trying to get through as quick as possible. I was here on assignment. I was here on purpose. I came through here not by accident, but there was an appointment for my life to meet this woman. And I don't even need natural sustenance now because I have met the spiritual assignment and the spiritual purpose for why we were here. Jump on down to verse 39. It says, now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified, he told me everything I ever did. And when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. Look at this. And he stayed there two days. He didn't go around the town. He didn't even just go through the town. He went up in the town and stayed in the town, ministering and doing the work he was called to do. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this is really the Savior of the world. Worship team, if you'd come up. We have an assignment. It's time that we quit playing games. 
It's time we quit just going through this world, prancing around all the hot topics and all the issues, and just waiting until we get our get get, get our you know little uh, ticket to get on out of here. We're not sitting uh, in a terminal waiting for the rapture to come take us. We are here on purpose. You are here on assignment. You are here to deal with the things no one else is dealing with. You are here to talk about the things no one else is talking about. You are here to uh, confront the things no one else is confronting. We are here to challenge what needs to be changed. Everything in this world, everything you're reading about right now, everything people are talking about right now, everything they're sharing about on media, social media, news media, every media outlet you can think of is the very reason why we exist. And it's time that we quit trying to go around things and we start going through the things he's called us to. We have an assignment. You have an appointment. What would happen if tomorrow you viewed every interruption as an appointment? Every phone call you don't want to take. Every conversation you don't want to have. What would happen if we started seeing how God is moving in the ordinary things, in the routine things. Better yet, the things that we would reject and say, there's no way God would have me confront that. What if he did? Will you pull up a chair? Will you take a seat? Will you entertain conversations with those that everybody else has cast out and say, Father, show me your heart for this individual. Show me your heart for this group. Show me your heart for this problem. Show me your heart. Reveal who you are through me in this situation right now. What is the Samaria in your life? Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.